Do you ever find yourself in need of self-care and reaching for those usual things that just aren't cutting it anymore? In today's episode, I'm going to talk about the question, is your self-care harmful or helpful? And we're going to use a book that I recently read called Real Self-Care by Dr. Pooja Lakshman to talk about the three personas that might actually be guiding you in the wrong direction when it comes to your self-care. I'm going to talk about each of those personas, and we're going to think through the driving emotions behind each of the ways that we reach for self-care. Finally, I'm going to wrap up with some alternate suggestions for how we can make sure that your well of self-care is more replenishing, more renewable, and less the kind of thing that makes you feel like you're running dry time and time again. If you're anything like me, you really are tired of the capitalist treadmill of self-care messages out there. I hope this episode can be a timeout from that rhetoric, and I know that it will have something for you as we identify and dive into these really helpful personas from this awesome book. I'm so glad you're here. Let's jump in. Welcome to Medium Lady Talks. I'm your host, Erin Vandeven. I'm a millennial and mother trying to build the place in the world that's made for me while fighting burnout, living intentionally, and embracing gratitude even when I'm grumpy. Here on Medium Lady Talks, we visit the topics and practical tips that will help you maximize self-discovery and minimize self-judgment so you can finally get momentum building the life you know is possible in this post-pandemic world. On this podcast, you can expect we'll get deep while having fun, and whether you're burnt out like a dog in a dumpster fire or celebrating your best life daily, you'll find the conversations, prompts, and tools I know will be helpful on your own personal healing journey. So stay tuned for my deep dive solo shows and interview episodes with dear friends and expert guests. Together, we'll make sure you have what you need to build the place in the world that's made for you. I'm so glad you're here. So let's jump in. Hello, hi, and welcome to Medium Lady Talks. I'm your host, Erin, and this is episode 83. We are going to talk all about the question, is your self-care helpful or harmful? And I was inspired to draft this episode and to get it out to you all because I recently finished a book called Real Self-Care, Crystals, Cleanses, and Bubble Baths Not Included by Pooja Lakshman. And Pooja Lakshman is a board-certified psychiatrist, New York Times contributor, and founder and CEO of Gemma, which is a physician-led women's mental health community centering equity and impact. I learned about this book from another podcast called Struggle Care by Casey Davis. And if you've been listening to some of my late spring, early summer episodes, I talked a lot about how Casey Davis's book, How to Keep House While Drowning, really affected me and really kind of like changed a lot of my perspective when it comes to seeing functional tasks of living, those sort of never ending functional tasks of living as moral obligations or signs that I'm a good or a bad person. So I do subscribe to Casey Davis's podcast, which I really, really enjoy. And she had sometime during the summer Pooja Lakshman on as a guest. And I thought, well, I really am looking forward to reading this book because I know for me here on Medium Lady Talks, we've talked a lot about real self-care. And we've talked a lot about the self-care that we're marketed to, the bubble bath, You know, it's exactly, it's exactly what's here in the title of the book, Crystals, Cleanses, and Bubble Baths. There's always an easy way to spend your money to achieve self-care. I'm using air quotes. 
This book is a really good place to start if you feel like you're doing all the right things and getting nowhere. And I also think, to be honest, it's very aligned to what I like to talk about here on Medium Lady Talks. The thing that I want to hone in on from this book, and I would highly encourage you to go ahead and check out the whole book, but I'm going to really focus on chapter two of this book, which is a description of three ways that we use fake self-care. She calls it faux self-care in the book. And I'm going to say this is the self-care that doesn't help, unhelpful self-care. I don't know if it's harmful necessarily, but I do think that it keeps us really stuck. It keeps us from growth. It keeps us from relief. It can keep us from feeling better because we believe it should make us feel better. And when we buy into unhelpful self-care, when we buy into unhelpful self-care, what happens is we feel like something's wrong with us. Uh, We feel like something's wrong with us because we think it should be helping. We think it should be working and it doesn't. And it's actually not our fault. It's the fact that our inclination to use self-care to feel better, what we're choosing, what we're buying into in terms of the dream or in terms of the goal, isn't actually a fit for what what our needs are. So what we're going to do today is deep dive on one specific part of this book. We're going to look at the three self-care personas that are inspired by this book. I'm going to actually expand on those personas because when I read this in chapter two of the book, I really felt like I had a lot of light bulb moments. Now, one thing I'll say is Dr. Lakshman, Pooja, she doesn't go into those personas further on in the book. They're really kind of contained within chapter two. But chapter two is called Why It's Hard to Resist the Seduction, The Ways We Turn to Faux Self-Care. So here I'm going to read directly from the book. And she says, in this chapter, I'll ask you to take a close look at how faux self-care shows up in your life. Many of us don't recognize the mindset that drives us towards faux self-care. And the first step to change is to bring awareness to what's not working. So in this chapter, I'll lead you through the three most common reasons why we turn to faux self-care. Number one, escape number two, achievement, and number three, optimization. And she goes on to say, it's important to remember that these coping mechanisms are not bad. We turn to them for relief during times of stress and overwhelm. By and large, all three of these coping mechanisms come from an understandable desire to control our lives and circumstances. The issue is they aren't meeting our deeper needs and thus end up being band-aids instead of sustainable solutions. You might see yourself in more than one of these examples, and that's okay. Typically, we all engage in these activities at different times, myself included. Let's take a look at them together one at a time. So what I want to spend the rest of the episode is, I'm going to ask you a question. Is your self-care helpful or harmful? And I think what I'm going to do is, because so much of these three personas, the escape Although I don't know if she calls them personas. No, she never calls them personas, but I'm going to adapt them to to the idea of persona. A persona, an escape persona, an achievement persona, and an optimization persona. And the very exciting part for me, and I feel super cheesy about this, but is I have designed a quiz to help you decide and define which persona you lean into more often. And just as the book says, you probably engage in all three. I certainly do for myself. But who doesn't love a quiz when it comes to these kinds of things? The other thing I'm going to do, which isn't covered in the book, is once you've identified the persona that fits you most often, I'm going to give you suggestions for how to flip your self-care from harmful into helpful. 
Knowing the way that you like to perceive control over your environment, knowing and understanding the patterns that you already have embedded in you to reach for self-care, I think we should use those patterns as a strength and just redirect them towards an output that is going to be a little bit more useful to us, a little bit more helpful. One of the other key components of this book, Real Self-Care by Pooja Lakshman, is that she talks about us having been conditioned to see self-care as a method, not as a principle. And she talks about the difference of how you can change your mindset to see self-care as a principle of your values, of your beliefs, and of who you really are in your identity. And I think that is absolutely resonant with Medium Lady and Medium Lady Talks and everything that we are trying to do when we gain traction on our own identity revolution. Episode 82 was all about why I really wanted to convince you to plan your free time in advance as a means of self-care and as a means of getting to know yourself. The one thing I always say is let's build the place in the world that was made for you. And that place exists in many, many ways. We can use our self-care as a pathway to that place time and time again. So if we see our self-care not as a method, but as a principle, then we can see how if you're using self-care as an escape, that's a method. But if you apply the principle of escape to your self-care, then you probably come up with a slightly different answer every time. So again, we'll, we'll keep in that in mind as we talk through the rest of the episode, you know, principles versus methods. And a method is something that you do. It has a beginning and an end. A principle is just sort of like a guideline that applies to multiple scenarios, a guideline that applies broadly. It's not a prescribed way of doing things. Okay, so let's go into those personas. And maybe you uh, felt a little bit um, excited to hear that, you know, you can uh, think through the rest of this episode and get really keyed into the one that aligns with you and, and who you think you, you are. The first persona is escape, the escape persona. This is the person who is oftentimes driven by a desire to escape, avoid life's demands, and find beauty in the world. These folks generally, if they're using self-care as a method, they're splurging on retreats, they're using their self-care to isolate from functional work or domestic demands. If you're an escape persona, then you prefer yourself to be cared for by strangers. This might mean, you know, special trips or spa treatments or cosmetic treatments. This might mean things like really, really lavish restaurant experiences. The escape persona folks tend to have a pretty heavy caregiver role in their quote unquote real life. Unfortunately, this type of escape self-care as a method doesn't always translate to real change because what it means is you just take a time out from your role in your real life, you experience that escape, and then when you come back, your relief doesn't really last. Using self-care as an escape means that we don't bring self-care into our real-world decisions or our real-world circumstances. Please remember as I talk about this that none of this is a moral failing. If you have a really heavy caregiver burden in your real life, it makes sense that you would want to escape. It makes sense that you would lean into self-care that is in isolation of your regular routines. And again, this is like none of these are bad or good. The second self-care persona is the achievement persona. The achievement persona is generally career-driven person. They use achievement to defend against loss or the fear of loss. 
This person is generally really, really busy with self-care activities, but they can be isolated and often desperate for meaningful connection. This is a persona that I personally identify with quite a lot. The achievement persona struggles with a lot of internal judgment of never measuring up. They have a deep-seated fear of lack of worth. They use perfectionism as a shield, and their self-care is an external symbol of worth. So things like groups or self-care tracking, there's a pressure to sort of perform self-care, but this pressure to perform hurts the individual. Everything about self-care within the achievement persona is about getting to an idealized version of the self. It's about manifesting, instead of who we really are, something that is not as authentic but less vulnerable to judgment from others. The third persona is the optimization persona. The person who uses optimization as a method of self-care is usually hyper-competent and organized. This person places a huge emphasis and value on productivity and control in their life. For them, self-care often falls into researching and planning. Time management is often the goal of self-care. Although when this person is able to save time because of their self-care activities, what happens is they're actually not really sure how to spend that free time. What they end up doing is they're sort of, uh, they return to that addiction of time management and productivity with their extra time. If folks are using optimization as a method of self-care, they generally feel the sense of managing their life instead of living it. They're always thinking about making life better or more optimal instead of accepting the present moment as being satisfactory enough. The optimization persona is always trying to do more, but that doesn't always help them feel better. So those are the three personas, the escape persona, the achievement persona, and the optimization persona. And you can see how when you're using those personas as your method for self-care instead of as a principle for self-care, you can really end up in a cycle that leads you to not feeling better. If you're always escaping to retreats or isolating from work, if you only think you can ask strangers for help, you can see how that self-care has its own limitations. If you're the achievement junkie and you sort of fill your life with work, but you isolate yourself from meaningful connections and you're overworking all the time in order to show everyone that you're a valid person who's, you know, got accomplishments under her belt, then you can see how even though your pursuit of care might look like something like <laughs> even this podcast, for example, you know, and I've said this before is like, am I indulging in something that allows me to get to know myself better? And I'm pretty sure that I am. Or am I just performing? Am I performing this podcast so that you'll like me for helping you? You know, like that's, I think, very much in terms of where self-care can turn into achievement. Are you doing a hobby because it helps you and feels good? Or is it because it can be demonstration of a side hustle? And then if you're the optimizer, you're really driven by a need for control, efficiency, and perfection. And you overuse productivity tactics but you struggle with downtime and you prioritize optimizing your life over actually taking time out and rest. So let's delve into some of those emotions that fuel each persona's self-care habits. The person who leans into escape as a means of self-care often is navigating emotions of longing for beauty, longing for tranquility, and that's paired with an avoidance of stress and chaos. It's often an all or nothing emotional experience for this person. 
And typically, the escape persona is trying to find ways to isolate experiences of stress or experiences of chaos in order to take a time out and experience beauty or tranquility. This person emotionally is typically experiencing either one or the other and has a hard time finding resilience between the two. Where this person's self-care doesn't serve them is because there is no real escape. The life you're living is the life that you have and oftentimes can build up a heavy layer of resentment towards our real life for not looking more like our self-care life. The emotions behind the achievement persona are really related to fear, unworthiness, and this sort of relentless drive for external validation. When you pursue self-care activities that soothe that fear of unworthiness, what you're doing is temporarily giving yourself a false sense of the fact that you can't be judged, when in reality, you are always up for judgment. It's a matter of how you choose to self-regulate that fear of being unworthy against an actual belief in your own worthiness. Performing to validation of others means that we never really gain a sense of mastery within ourselves. We never gain a sense of self-acceptance and self-love within ourselves. If every time I take care of myself, I do so by producing something that can be deemed worthy by others, then I run the risk of never really understanding my own self-worth without the eyes of somebody else on me which means that my self-care generally puts me in this never-ending cycle of chasing other people's expectations and wanting to feel good when I know I've met other people's expectations or when I know I look worthy in other people's eyes, because that's a temporary emotion. And when that sense of worthiness minimizes, then I just have to go and chase and produce and perform and achieve something else so that I can feel cared for and minimize that fear um, yet again. The optimizer persona is driven by a lot of emotions of anxiety around productivity, a need to be competent, a need to be control, and a real aversion to idleness. Generally, the emotions of the optimizer are about the sense of loss that might come when you stop. The optimizer is often really concerned with time management as a means of control and as a means of understanding that everything is going right. There is a real sense of rightness and wrongness to the optimizer, and the way that they can live life better is by doing more, not by doing less. But the truth of the matter is that there's only so many hours in the day. When you use optimization for self-care, you get temporary control over your circumstances, but life doesn't always follow that sense of meaning and purpose. And when you do actually carve time out for yourself, if you're not sure how to spend that time, sometimes resting, sometimes doing something that's something other than your hyperproductive focus, then you end up actually finding more ways to make your time more productive and you end up slicing off smaller and smaller parts of your own identity in the pursuit of hypercompetence and the pursuit of hyperproductivity because those slivers all give you that sense of control and they help you to minimize your fear of not having competence, of not having control, or of having things that are not productive or not useful or not, you're not, not even, even not organized. So I want you to just take a little check in with yourself and think about which persona you're sort of leaning into, which persona you identify with, and maybe you identify with all three. 
And what we're going to do is we're going to talk about how we can pivot to choose alternate self-care based on our personas, based on our patterns that have already been useful to us in feeling a sense of control. So if we use those as a, as a way of thinking principally about our lives, principally about what makes us feel soothed, what makes us feel well, what makes us feel calm and centered, we're going to talk a little bit about the alternate self-care that we can consider um, using who we already are and not trying to change anything about ourselves. So if you are identifying with the escape persona, I think what you have to think about is what does escape provide that can become a part of your real life? Instead of isolating your life in order to experience an escape, think about the moments of your day-to-day routines that can become ritualized, that can become infused with beauty, that can become infused with sensorial enjoyment, and allow you to see moments of escape principally in the context of your regular life. Like I said at the beginning, people who lean into the escape persona are driven to find beauty in life, and they isolate their chaotic or stressful parts of their life in order to sample and experience beauty. So instead of retreating, I think that the escape persona can embrace moments of beauty in their everyday life. The other thing that's important for the escape artist is to prioritize these moments of beauty without guilt. You want to find ways to cope with all of the ways that you show up for others. As I said before, usually the escape persona folks are really have a really heavy caregiver role in their real life or in their jobs or or in whatever they have going on. And you want to develop coping strategies for that need to be with yourself, that need to indulge yourself, and the guilt that might come from that being something that doesn't nurture or doesn't influence or doesn't help the people that you caregive in your life. When we talk about moving past guilt, and there is quite a lot about moving past guilt in the Real Self-Care book, Dr. Lakshman talks about boundaries. And I think that boundaries can be a very good self-care principle for people who find themselves in the escape persona. What a boundary does is to help you move beyond your guilt. And in order to foster your well-being, you can use boundaries to prioritize your own needs and desires in your regular everyday life without actually you know, taking an escape without actually leaving your home and going to the spa or without actually leaving your role and your job behind and taking, you know, a long retreat vacation. Considering balancing the needs of the people in your caregiver roles with your own desires and needs in your everyday life. This is really, really hard. But if you think of escape as a principle for your self-care, then what follows naturally are boundaries. And those boundaries can help you to stop being controlled by feelings of guilt, which are always going to be inevitable when we say to people, I'm going to put my needs ahead of your needs, especially as women, we're super conditioned to never do that. But your boundaries, what your boundaries can do is to actually allow you to move beyond an unhelpful escape pattern into a helpful escape pattern. Boundaries for me, I love to say is here's what's okay and here's what's not okay, you know? In terms of how we take care of people, that sometimes feels like we're going to have to say to people, I can't be available at all times. I can't always be on for you. I can't be on call. I can't respond to every text. I can't pick up every phone call. 
And that in and of itself is a pause in our lives. And that pause is where we set boundaries and where we use escape as a principle of self-care. In the book, Dr. Lakshman says, setting boundaries is about recognizing you have a choice and communicating it. But before you can get to either of those things, you need to grapple with a giant obstacle that almost always rears its head, other people's feelings. Because when you communicate a boundary, something tricky happens. Whether that boundary is set with a friend, a family member, or an elementary school's PTA, there will likely be consequences, real or imagined. For instance, there are some who would be angry with you for not answering your phone. But, she says in the book, boundaries are not co-created. Other people will have their feelings about your boundaries, but they cannot create them. A boundary is about what you need to interact in the world. So that probably feels super unsatisfying if you're in the escape persona and I'm saying, instead of pursuing self-care through escapes like a spa or a massage, what you should instead do is set boundaries in your real life to allow you to find space for yourself in your everyday life. (laughs) You're going to say, forget it. I'm not doing that. I'm going to stick with my spa days. I'm going to stick with my retreats. And I don't blame you. And this is (laughs) This is really not about an either or experience, but it is about thinking about what are you really trying to get out of the spa experience can actually not be achieved by the spa experience and it can be achieved by boundary setting and and healthy practice. Another way that I might recommend that you self-care on a more regular basis is about enjoying and experiencing beauty in your everyday life making sure that you have routines for your own rest, whether that's going to bed at the same time every day. I would also recommend that you minimize decision fatigue. Usually the escape persona is often trying to get a time out from all of their functional work, all of those domestic demands. And if you can minimize decision fatigue in your own life, then you can find that respite and that headspace from the stress and sometimes chaotic nature that it can feel to have a heavy caregiver burden in your real life. That is my recommendation for the escape persona. So let's move on to the achievement persona. And I'm probably going to use the phrase I because I really identify with this achievement persona. So the achievement persona, as we said before, needs to shift the focus from external achievements to inner self-worth. And that means seeking meaningful connection beyond your career, beyond your side hustle, beyond your Instagram page, (laughs) beyond your latest podcast, you know. Some of us might know somebody who needs to hear that. And what I'm going to say is what the achievement persona needs to do is to move into regular patterns of self-compassion. And that means basically giving yourself permission to be good enough. This is chapter six of the Real Self-Care book, and I'm linking it to the achievement persona. That doesn't happen in the book, but I really felt like it was really clearly aligned. So as I said before, if emotionally the achiever persona is trying to avoid feelings of unworthiness, is trying to avoid feelings of failure or loss, then shifting a focus from external achievements and chasing self-care through things that can be shared externally or things that achieve accolades can be a really important thing to find meaningful connection within yourself and acknowledging that you're just good enough just the way you are. That can be a really soothing balance between what the achievement persona is doing when they use self-care methods like side hustles or when they use self-care methods like yoga classes or the, you know, selfie after the run, that what we're really doing is making sure that we can be seen 
And as women, it's really hard to balance your self-care when it comes through the lens of how other people see you. So for the achiever persona, when you're practicing real self-care, self-compassion is the lens through which you view yourself. And it's about, and I'm quoting from the book, it's about recognizing your shortcomings or the way in which life doesn't match your expectations. Instead of taking out the boxing gloves and beating yourself up, offering yourself a dose of kindness. And this can come down to a lot of the ways that we talk about ourselves. And so if we talked about setting boundaries as being the balance for the escape persona, this is kind of about setting boundaries with your internal self for the achievement persona. Self-compassion is something that I've learned more and more about through the work of Kristen Neff. Kristen Neff has a self-compassion assessment tool, and I will link it in the show notes. But self-compassion, self-compassion is essentially about treating yourself like a friend. And doing that should be happening on a daily basis. The person who is really leaned into the achievement persona, if you think principally about what you're trying to do when you use achievement as a principle, what you're trying to achieve is the ability to evoke self-compassion, and achieve self-compassion when you need it most. One of the things that you might want to do if you're the achievement persona is to acknowledge when you feel stress, when you feel unworthiness, is to take a self-compassion break. Feel the emotional discomfort in your body about being unworthy. Acknowledge that you are suffering and struggling with not feeling good enough. Then you can acknowledge that this experience is a part of life. Every human experiences feelings of unworthiness, fear of failure, fear of loss. That is a regular part of the human condition. And a lot of people feel that way and you're not alone. And then once you acknowledge the sort of universality of that experience, you can turn in to be kind to yourself. And I love to do that with affirmations. I'm a big fan of affirmations and I've mentioned them many, many times on the podcast before. In this case, you might say things like, my worth is not defined by my accomplishments. I am open to meaningful connection beyond my career and my achievements. I find validation within myself and I am good enough. Again, remember that if your self-care has sort of been about, you know, making your way through a juice cleanse or showing everybody your running tracker, then... And I'm not trying to say that running trackers or juice cleanses are bad, but I'm trying to say is when you engage in self-care so that you can show everybody you're self-caring, there we go, that's that's sort of the, the general condition of the achiever persona, is when you're engaged in self-care so you can show everybody you're self-caring, what we continue to do is to live up to the sense that we're not good enough until we have evidence of what we're doing and how well we're doing. If how we're treating ourselves doesn't make it to the highlight reel, then we really run into trouble with where we find validation. The counterbalance to the achiever persona is to dig deep into self-care with self-compassion rituals. And again, I think that, you know, certainly if I'm saying you need to give up on posting every sweaty selfie after hot yoga and keep going to hot yoga, but just stop telling everybody about it. And that feels potentially like a threat or potentially like a concern for your routines and your habits and your self-care. Remember that we are rewriting your internal narrative. And 
I think that routine self-compassion, building in activities that don't produce tangible results or don't require excellence can be really, really helpful. Giving yourself emotional rest is also really important. We talked about building physical rest into the routines of the escape persona, but I think giving the achievement persona emotional rest can also be really, really important. And that relief can usually come through self-compassion practice and routines. And I hope you'll use the self-compassion timeout if you find that you are the achievement persona. And actually, you can use that self-compassion timeout right before you want to get the validation and praise for something that you're putting on social media. All right, so we're going to now talk about the optimizer persona, the optimization persona, and choosing alternate care. The optimizer persona needs to begin to allow moments of rest and relaxation, needs to begin to build trust that downtime will enhance their overall efficiency. So we had talked about boundaries being important for the escape persona. We had talked about compassion being important for the achiever persona. And finally, we're going to talk about identity. Identity is a really important part of self-care for the optimizer persona. And your real self-care should bring you closer to yourself. When it comes to optimization, we're striving for balance, but there really is no such thing as balance. Balance, if we're striving for balance, that suggests that our lives are this problem to be solved and a destination where we can arrive we achieve balance, we've made it somewhere. But honestly, the thing is, is that we are just in constant relationship with one another. And what I would recommend for the optimizer personality is to think about your identity. And your identity can start with getting to know your values. Values are discussed in this book, Real Self-Care by Pooja Lakshman in chapter seven. And she spends a fair bit of time reminding us that our values are different from our goals. And I think, again, this is similar to methods are different than principles. And I'm going to quote from the book here on page 165. Goals are tangible objectives like I want to run a marathon or I want to get into graduate school. Values, on the other hand, are the desired qualities of action. You can embody your values while you are working towards your goal. And even if you fail at your goals, you can be living through your values. If I'm training to run a marathon, What do I embody while I'm training? Is it a sense of adventure and trying something new? Or is it a sense of courage in the face of a difficult challenge? Put another way, if goals are the things that you do, values are the way that you do them. Imagine your life as one long road trip. Your goals would include each destination you arrive at, whether you're pulling into the Grand Canyon or taking a break at a roadside pit stop. Your values are how it feels for you to be in the car, driving towards the various destinations on this trip. Are you singing along to your favorite 80s hip-hop? Are you engrossed in a rousing game of I Spy with your kids? Or are you white-knuckled and cursing traffic? The distinction is important because the way you move towards your goals influences the mental and physical state you're in when you arrive. So remember this in the context of the optimizer persona because the optimizer has a lot of emotions and anxiety around productivity. They feel a need to control. They have an aversion to idleness. They're usually overflexing on productivity tactics. They're very, very hyper-competent. And if you can imbue as an optimizer the way that you move towards your goals, the way that you move through your to-do list with values, 
then what you can do is actually take really, really good care of yourself while you, while you remain an organized and productive person. What you value guides your actions. And I have actually done a lot of values work way before I even started Medium Lady Talks. I read a really great book called Overcoming Overwhelm by Dr. Samantha Brody in 2019 when I was pregnant with Beckett and I was really, really low and struggling with my pain from being pain. I was in so much pain, pain from being pregnant and the general sense of overwhelm that I needed to take some things off my plate and I just could not figure how. I would highly recommend that book. And if I can, I will try to link to some of the supportive learning activities to help you figure out your values, because that exercise has actually really stuck with me for a number of years now. I guess it's going on going on four years now. If you want to think about values and you're sort of like, what even are my values? There is a short list of values on page 168 of this book. But this is the kind of thing where I would recommend that you get a little bit curious. You could use something like ChatGPT or Google and say, give me a list of values. And it's really about identifying what resonates with you. Don't second guess yourself in this experience. So I'm going to read through some of the values on page 168. And if you identify with the optimizer personality, hopefully some of them will jump out at you. You might have the value of acceptance. You might value kindness. You might value hope. You might value responsibility or leadership. You might value compassion. That's a value of mine. You might value authenticity. You might value belonging. You might value freedom. You might value creativity. One of my values is on this list. It's the value of curiosity and discovery. You might value understanding, generosity, justice. You might value courage. You might value flexibility. You might value humor. You might value service or spirituality. You might value learning. That's one of mine. You might value playfulness, boldness, openness. You might value integrity and trustworthiness. That's just a small list. And so if you value playfulness, then your goal to have a really productive life is going to be about embodying that value of playfulness, right? So you're going to be playfully moving through your to-do list, or you're going to playfully be engaging in things that make you productive. And perhaps you're going to be gamifying your life a little bit more. Perhaps you're going to be infusing the sense of play into how competent you are at a specific task, or you're going to be really playful with your organizers, for example. But that's because of your value being playfulness. You're going to choose the actions within your productivity mindset to imbue how you are productive, to imbue how you are optimizing your life. Not the fact that you are optimizing your life, because what I said before, remember, is that if we think about we're always trying to balance, then we see it as a destination. If we think about how we balance, we balance playfully, if that's your value. If you think about how you balance, you might value freedom, and that might be why you're balancing. That might explain the how of your balance. You might value stability. And so that stability is an important reason for how you engage in productivity and how you get to balance is because of stability. Those are all very, very different. The hows will become very, very different for the optimizer persona. So instead of using your self-care habits to optimize every aspect of your life, things like 
making sure you have the perfect capsule wardrobe or always engaging in the the meal prep kits and having a calendar that is time blocked to the nth degree. What you actually can do is consider your values and make sure that your desire for productivity is being imbued with what you value in your life. And that gets you closer to your own identity. It gets you closer to who you really are. And remember what I said is sometimes the optimizer persona has a sense of managing their life instead of living it. They're always thinking about making their life better. But when they find that time, because they're so good at time management, they're not really sure how to spend free time. So I would say it's really important to connect to yourself and to connect to identity, to veer off of your to-do list every now and then, and to embody your values in ways that are outside of being productive and competent. This might mean putting something like a relax first priority on your list. But again, I think you have to connect back to your authentic self. You might want to do some journaling through your values. And you might want to also consider the opportunity for mental rest. So I said before, the escape persona is often looking for physical rest. The achievement persona is looking for emotional rest. And the optimizer persona is probably looking for mental rest. These are my own conclusions. That's not part of the book. But I do think that it's important that rest is a part of self-care no matter what your persona is. And rest can show up in so many different ways. All right, so let's do a little bit of a summary. So what we've talked about is this book, Real Self-Care by Pooja Lakshman. We've talked about the personas that she introduces in chapter two, the escape persona, the achievement persona, the optimizer persona. I've shared a little bit about the emotions behind each of these personas, and we've talked about choosing alternate self-care for each persona that you might relate to. We're going to wrap up with some affirmations for positive change, and I hope that this really will help you facilitate a shift in your thinking about your self-care from harmful to helpful. And if you're the escape persona, I want you to think about the following. I embrace tranquility in everyday moments. I am worthy of self-care without guilt. And I release stress and I welcome relaxation. For the achievement persona, we've talked about some of these. My worth is not defined by my accomplishments. I am open to meaningful connections beyond my success. I find validation within myself. And if you are the optimizer persona, I release the need for control in all aspects of my life. I prioritize self-care to get to know myself. Remember, your self-care should be a source of continual nourishment. It should be a well that never dries up, not an escape or a pursuit of external validation. It should not have, it should not ever be the kind of thing that runs dry for you. By understanding your self-care persona, my hope through this episode is that you can acknowledge the emotions that drive your self-care and we can all think about adopting healthier practices so that you can transform your self-care routine from one that is potentially unsatisfying and maybe a little bit harmful to one that truly, truly helps you and becomes an endless source of refilling your bucket in the space in the world that is made for you. Thank you so much for joining me today. I want you to know I really appreciate your time through this episode. I know that it is a valuable resource to you and it is not lost on me that you're choosing to spend it with Medium Lady. I hope that you can just take a brief moment, deep breath in and out, and I want you to acknowledge that you are doing such a good job. Such a good job. My name is Erin. This has been Medium Lady Talks, episode 83, and I will talk to you again soon. Bye. 
Thanks so much for listening to Medium Lady Talks, created and produced by me, Erin Vandeven. If you want more of the general vibe, gratitude, and encouragement from this episode, please come and find me on Instagram at medium.lady. And since you've made it to the end, I'd love to get to know you even better. Screenshot this episode so you can share it on Instagram and be sure to tag me so that we can chat. Thanks for listening. Remember, you're doing such a good job. Your place in this world can only be filled by you. I'll see you in the next episode. Bye.